Hello, everyone. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true, you know. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet. We've got great articles about writing, the craft and business of writing, of writing, but also, you know, the uh, writer's life. Just what it is to face a blank page and say, what do I want to see on that? We also have video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Uh, my conversation with Richard Powers is up there now. I'm going to be doing one with... I'm going to take uh, my conversation with Lemony Snicket, Daniel Handler, and that's going to be up next month. You can check it all out at authormagazine.org, and we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication. Since 1955, you can learn more about the PNWA and their fabulous conference and classes at pnwa.org. Well, everybody, we got a good one today. I had a great conversation with Uli Boiter-Cohen. Uli is a New York City-based documentarian, artist, and the creator of Subway Book Review. She explores belonging to a time and place through writing and photography. She's a sought-after speaker and panelist, and her work has been featured in print, on TV, and online by New York Magazine, Esquire, Vogue, Forbes, Oh, The Oprah Magazine, Glamour, The BBC, and The Guardian, among others. Between the Lines, Stories from the, the Underground is her first book. It's a cool book. We had a cool conversation. She's an interesting woman. And, uh, well, I'm glad I get to share it with you. Enjoy. Well, Uli, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. I'm excited to be here with you. All right. So we've got ourselves an interesting book that's publishing uh, today. Not the day we're recording this, but today, that, as our listeners hear it, uh, called Between the Lines, Stories from... Uh, the underground. Um, I want to get to it. It's probably another, not another book out there like it. Yes, there it is. Yeah, I got. Yeah, you see. And um, but let's talk about you a little bit. This, in a way, began in like 2014. Is that when you did your first interview? Is that fair to say? Yeah, the very first interview I actually did on December 23rd, 2013, a day that I will not forget, wow. but it, it was so close to the end of the year. We just say 2014 as okay. the birth of the momentous movement. Yes. All right. All right. So before we get to the movement, let's back up a little bit. You, are, you were born in, in Germany. You lived uh, on the West Coast of America for how long did you live on the West Coast? I think it was 12 years. Okay. So you moved as a kid, I assume. Very young kid, very small child. No, I was 20. I moved oh. right after I graduated uh, the equivalent of German high school. I packed two suitcases and had the intention to be abroad for just a bit. Okay. And then that turned into 20 years, much to my parents' uh, chagrin. But here we are. And they're, of course, very pleased and proud with what I have turned these 20 years into, I hope. Well, so, okay, what? so you wanted to be abroad, so you just wanted to see the world a little bit more than you had seen. And so you were drawn to, was this the first time you'd been to the US? No, it wasn't. And as a matter of fact, my parents, uh, I'm very lucky, they're avid travelers. So Mm. despite being born in a teeny tiny village, and when I say tiny village, I really mean that two years ago, I learned, no, three years ago, I learned that I can run around the whole thing in 25 minutes. 
So that's how small this place is, population 800. But I think because of that, my parents had a real uh, appetite and had a real wanderlust for, um, you know, escaping from that place, not because we didn't like it, but just to broaden all of our horizons. Uh, My dad is also, and my mom, they're avid readers. And so uh, between the trips to uh, to the public library and our avid traveling, I think there was just something set in me early on mm. that, you know, made me a very independent individual and also m- turned me into a person who, like you said, wanted to see the world and also wanted to find my place in it. And I think that um, the United States were really interesting to me because I I knew I wanted to be a storyteller. At that point, I really wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be in front of the camera. I wanted to get in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And so to me, you know, 2003, 2001 is when I moved. America was the land of dreams sure. for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're going to go out there to be an actress. You went to, did you went to Hollywood area? Somewhere? Not at all. I, <laughs> I went. What? What? <laughs> okay. All right. You can't. You can't blame me though. I went to the West Coast and I went to Oregon out of Ah, all places, which was the wrong state. But for me, it was the right state because it very much looked like Germany. There were a lot of trees. There was a lot of nature. And I found this very affordable uh, theater and broadcast program at a local community college. Oh, okay. You know, um, again, there was no internet to the degree. Of course, there was internet, but we weren't trained to like Google things and find our way. We had to kind of land someplace and then very cumbersomely had to figure it out. So, uh, you know, I did my best. I got my green card. I was so proud of it, of my student visa at that time. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't have a green card. That came much later. But I had this student visa and I was like, the world is my oyster. Let's see what I can do with it. And then um, pretty immediately was told by, funnily enough, a very short acting teacher that my accent and my thighs were much too thick to ever make it. Oh my God. But but Bill, um, we forgive him uh, (laughs) his absolute faux pas and mistake because look at this, of course. Of course, yes, of course. Um, This is a, you know, uh, the storytelling is a legacy in my family, which I'm happy to tell you about if you're interested. But um, the, the thing that it did in me was I absolutely didn't want to go back home defeated and then decided that I was going to step behind the lens and enrolled in a filmmaking program ah. where I learned the craft of filmmaking uh, really, really hands-on. I call it the blue collar film school of film schools that I went to. And um, that was really phenomenal. I got into documentary uh, filmmaking and experimental filmmaking there specifically. And um, just was really in a place where I got to experiment a lot, which was amazing. This was in Portland, Oregon. And uh, I met my future husband, then boyfriend there, who happened to be a New Yorker. Mm -hmm. And you know, after once you start dating a New Yorker, you gotta you gotta go to his natural habitat. Yes, yeah. So then I moved to New York City in uh, in 2013, and that's the same year that I birthed Subway Book Review into existence. All right. So you move. So you, so you move with your. Were you guys married when you moved, or were you on your way to being married? We were married. We got married in 2010, July oh. 10, 2010, because nice. we we're those kind of people. We're like, let's do a day that we can really both. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So you move out there uh, with the, and so you've been, you've been experimenting around in 
you've tried theater, you tried acting, now you're behind the camera. So storytelling, storytelling, storytelling. So it's very, it's cool to me that you viewed storytelling broadly, uh, not narrowly, because I know when I was young, I really, even though I was telling stories all the time, I saw it as like, you wrote a novel or a short story, like that's what a story was. It didn't even occur to me all the forms stories took. Uh, yeah, they do. Totally. And so you already were opening your mind up to the what a story could be and the way it could be told. Yeah, I think I came up in a really multimedia um, kind of schooling, you know, and I think we were encouraged to tell stories through audio, through video, through mm. painting and collage, through writing, through, um, you know, what, what, installation, whatever you can imagine. And I think that was very freeing because also as a person um, who's, you know, I'm English is my second language, not my first language. Writing has always been writing in English and writing well in English has been intimidating to me, was intimidating for me for a long time, you know, and yeah. um, even reading in English took me a long time to get into. And I oh. think we forget that so many people do not have English as their first language sure. and we're expected to just seamlessly then fall into all of these different mediums and some are more accessible than others, you know? Yeah. yeah. So for me, yeah, playing with photography, playing with interview work and then finding my way into writing and editing that way um, was just also a lot of fun and made yeah. the whole... Um, made the whole thing more accessible to me. So, all right. So you're in New York. And by the way, I mean, most of the book is, is the other people's stories, the stories about the stories they're reading and based on your interviews. And we're going to get into that in a second, but you begin by giving a little history of the piece, which is very well written. Good job, Uli. You did it. You found the words for it. It was a nice, it was a nice fluid introduction to it. I quite enjoyed it. And but you paint a picture of someone who's like, I'm here in this big city. Like, I want to like understand it. And you, and you were having trouble, like making sense of like what New York was or how to sort of, um, you were looking for something, but you weren't finding it above ground. Let's say, is that fair? I think I was definitely looking for something. And I believe that what was very clear to me immediately was that the underground, um, metaphorically speaking and literally speaking is of course the birthplace of move of all movements that we uh, right. then turn into mainstream and mass media accepted um, or not accepted but into mass media and mainstream uh, modes of living and, and modes of experiencing stories so the underground to me, um, I became enamored with very quickly. It was also the place in New York that I was most afraid of because again, no Wi-Fi on trains, vast system, trains, the MTA, you know, we love to hate the MTA. Of course we love it because it's our lifeline, but right. um, it's also unpredictable and it is often in complete chaos and disarray. Anyone yeah. who's ever visited New York knows that, you know, the F train will run on the A line, no problem. And will make no stops that you expect whatsoever um, because it's actually running as a C. So, you know, you have you have this whole complete dysfunctional system in place, but that is also what you have to rely on to move forward and through life. And so I wanted to immerse myself in that space because it's also one of the spaces, unlike the streets above ground, and I say that in the introduction, it doesn't change. And, right. you know, again, much to the... <laughs> Maybe it should, but it doesn't. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> much of the bewilderment of all of us, but it is what it is. And um, 
I, I really truly started to just ride the subway at all hours of the day. And I stayed on it and I wrote it with no destination in mind. And I knew from my creative practice that if you observe and listen to something long enough, that it will reveal what it wants to tell you and it will show itself to you. Um, and that was the case. It occurred to me pretty immediately how many people were reading printed books on the subway. Yeah. And of course, the literary mind is such a staple in the New York cultural scene. Sure. And to me, that was a mind that I was absolutely interested in, especially yeah. as more and more phones started to populate people's hands instead of books. Yeah. So there was also a preservation aspect to it because I had a feeling that Wi-Fi would infiltrate these trains soon and that maybe there was a lost, um, you know, a lost art and a lost habit um, emerging. So yeah. those were my immediate inclinations and my immediate instincts. And then out of that came the idea to apply my photography skills to it, to apply my interview skills to it. And to speak to these people and to really truly start with the very simple question, what are you reading? Yeah. And then to let that evolve into why are you reading this? Who are you? Where are you going? And who do you want to become? Which that those additional questions developed over many years. And I've now been um, doing this work for seven years. I've written every subway line front to back. I've been, you know, riding the rails in all five boroughs. And I take this work very seriously in that I pursue it with great diligence and also as a great honor because to document New York City is a it's a big job and you uh, you have to take a lot into consideration to do it any kind of justice. Yeah. And so <laughs> you actually tell the story of the first interview you did uh, and you're on a train, you're riding along and you just see this person and you described making eye contact that lasts a little and you do something which I have to say struck me as very brave but you know I sometimes think when it's fate when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing you're pulled by a force greater than your inhibition and next thing you know you find yourself asking this woman you want to connect to her for some reason and you ask her what and so it starts with that simple question what are you reading and then you have the impulse to take her picture so it almost feels like an accident but it wasn't I say it, perhaps it wasn't. And so that must have, and you, so describe that feeling because I love it when I find the times I've found, whether it's someone I've, person I've married or the work I'm doing where something kind of lights up for you. And yeah. that seemed like that kind of a moment when you connected to this woman. Yeah, it was one of those moments where you do something that you know is maybe breaking a rule. Yeah. And, uh, but you know that the best thing in your life will come out of it. And yeah. Yeah. after speaking to Hannah, who was reading Catching Fire, which I know is very apt, right? That the first sure. book was called Catching Fire yeah. uh, by Suzanne Collins from the Hunger Games series, um, which of course is also such a kismet uh, mile marker, right? Um, yeah. I just got the thing that made it so electric of a moment was that I felt immediate closeness, intimacy, and empathy with one of um, millions of New Yorkers in an instance. Right. And I think that is truly what got me hooked and what infiltrated my system immediately as something that I wanted, that I wanted to experience over and over again. And I thought, if I can experience it over and over again, then let's share that. 
and see if other people can get it as a secondhand buzz, so to say. Right. And I think- Was it an Instagram account for, was that the first place you tried sharing it was through Instagram? Yeah, first it was, of course, on Tumblr because that was right, hot, right. hot, you know? Right, right. That was a yeah, hot, yeah. hot place to be. Yeah. But yeah, it was on. It was right away I put it on Tumblr, I put it on Instagram, I put it on Facebook. And the intention wasn't to amass millions of followers. The intention was to really keep it unexpected and to keep that surprise and delight element alive that you just never really keep it, knew. Keep it unexpected. Keep it talk, unexpected. Talk to me about like what... Yeah, because I know what to expect. It's going to be a person in their book, but obviously there's more to it. Right. No. But so there's more to it than that. So talk to me about the unexpected. I think that we often think, um, first of all, of reading as a very solitary experience. And of course, it's not right. Reading to me, really, you don't finish reading the moment that you finish the book, close it and put it on your shelf reading really requires discourse. And so I wanted to break that rule too, right? Of coming into someone's personal space and saying, share this moment with me. Why do you think it requires, why do you think it requires discourse? Talk to me about like, what, 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 what is lacking if you don't discourse with it? If you don't talk about it. If you don't talk about what you're reading, well, the book that you read, it infiltrates your system in a very specific way. A story that you read in a printed uh, material stays with you and it wants to change you. So when you have discourse about it, you allow other people to be changed by it too. And you deepen that healing experience that this book wants to give you in a completely different way than when you keep it to yourself so it's very very important to seek discourse and to and to communicate and to converse this story that is changing you because that's what it's intended to do some of them of course you know much like we have a broad menu of nourishment in life right there are books that are lighter there are books that are harder to digest There are books that go down smooth like butter because they're just meant for you and coming to you at the right time. And some of them we begin and we don't really connect with them and we kind of put to the side and maybe never come back or come back years later. But books often find people at the right time. And that's what I mean by the surprise and delight moment that a book will find someone when it is intended to change that person. And Minjin Lee, the author of Pachinko said this beautifully at a panel that we did for Between the Lines. Um, She said, readers are people who are looking for answers and for solutions. There's, if you have a question, there's a book out there that has the answer for you. And to me, that is what I'm trying to communicate is that these are people who are quite literally on a subway, right? They're moving forward. They're in transit. They haven't arrived yet, but they're on their way to a destination. And so I literally catch them as they're journeying on, you know, um, and are trying to figure out uh, where it is that they're going. And yeah. so that's the surprise and delight element, because of course, the questions that these people are asking are questions that we're asking all of us, right? How do we deal with racism? How do we deal with sexism? How do we deal with perverse wealth? How do we deal with inequality and justice? But also, how do we laugh together? How do we love each other? How do we heal each other? How do we communicate with nature and with animals? And how do we connect to our future? Those are all things that are on all of our minds. They're universal questions that we're all examining. And to me, what Between the Lines does and why this book is so timely 
um, which is of course a trip because I had to make it so fast. And I was like, <laughs> how am I making this book during the pandemic right now? That's right. insane. But it wanted to come out right now because what it does is it collects these individual voices who are thinking and mulling over these questions and who have also solutions and answers because a lot of them are phenomenal, iconic people who've mulled on these questions for a long time. Sure. Um, and these voices come together and present you a comprehensive map and guideline to what you can investigate and who you can listen to, to receive some guidance and some answers. Yeah. That's what I think this book is doing. That's the, that's what it wanted me to make it into. And I hope that I have succeeded. I think you did a great job. I, I, as someone who's interviewed a lot of people and I love interviewing people, uh, I, I think that what I recognized in, in reading this book was I was impressed that you chose to have question, the, the questions be different for everybody. You may have started with similar questions, but you, you, you let the questions come organically based on the answers that you got. And it, it struck me of the, it reminded me of how, well, all of life's creative, but even the act of interviewing has a, is a creative act from the role of the interviewer as you have to tap in because the questions you asked that person had to be based on your own curiosity. Yes. On what they said, but it had to come from what you were interested in about that person, about life and about this project. And so it's their interest in your interest meeting in those questions and answers. Is that a good description of it? A hundred percent. I'm pulling up a quote right now that I um, took a photo of last night at the Fotografiska um, museum where I was very privileged and got a private tour at night. Nice. Um, but the, the quote by Ruth Orkin is being a photographer is making people look at what I want them to look at. <laughs> yeah. So yes, a hundred percent, a thousand percent. And you know that, and then also my questions are deeply rooted in where I am in my own journey. So How can of they not course, be? Yeah. I'm the person who has questions about racism, sexism, inequality, perverse wealth, nature, love, healing. Right. Of course I am. Those are all on my mind. And right. so I have curated and collected individuals for you who have helped me tremendously and who have given me answers and who have changed me as a person. Every single one of these stories has changed me and has yeah. made me, you know, a better listener, a better observer, um, a better co-creator. And, um, and that's what I, that's what I really want to pass on is that opportunity. Well, I, you have, you are, you know, I love something you said earlier, which I totally agree with, but I hadn't thought of in this way, which is that, you know, you about the need to discourse. One of the things I will, I teach a lot of writers and, and they're often nervous about sharing their work. They feel shy about it and, you know, they want people to read it, but they're nervous. But what you said about our impulse to talk about the things that we've read and loved and been moved by. It's very natural. It seems like the most natural trajectory for something you love is to share it. And the same is true when you write something that, you know, and a thing comes to you and changes you as you write it. It is natural to share it. It is, not, it is actually kind of unnatural, like not letting your kid leave the house or not letting the bird fly. Like it's got to go out and be shared. And you, your, and what will happen to you, I suspect, as you go and now talk to people who read this book, who maybe aren't even familiar with your, your social media platform, is your relationship to the work will deepen, even though it's deepened in writing it. I, at least I hope it will, because the conversation will then continue as you talk to others about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't wait to speak to people about the stories that they read in between the lines. I cannot wait. Good. That's going to be my favorite part, one of my favorite parts, because making it was also very special. And yeah. I mentioned I had to I had to edit it. And also I collected a lot. You know, most of the book is brand new content that has never been published before. Oh, really? Um, yes, of course. Um, I would never give you a, a secondary meal. I will, I will serve it fresh. Very good. Um, Impressive. But that mean that meant that during the pandemic, it was one of the busiest years of my entire life. And I had to get yeah. creative and I had to figure out how to meet strangers in a public space as we were told to distance and not see each other. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I figured it out. I made it happen. And I think it actually made the book better because it made me more intentional. I also reached out to a lot of people who I was genuinely interested in and wanted to hear from and asked them to meet me at their favorite subway station. The concept is the same, which is that it's a person I've never met before. We're talking yeah. about the books they're reading. And I do believe that um, the book really is a beautiful manifestation of the seven years and where I am at now. And I really truly am sharing the entire magic that I have collected in the underground over the span of time. You know, one of the reasons I, I love that you did it on the subway, it strikes me that the subway, New York subway in particular, which I, well, I've been in London subway, but um, it's, you know, you got people from all walks of life, as they say, right? And New York really draws people from all areas and all, and really, and it's used by people of all different social classes and right. But there's something about the subway that kind of makes everybody equal for that journey. We're all on this train, all where you live doesn't matter and where you're from doesn't matter and where you're going, to, it kind of doesn't matter because of that moment, you're all stuck in that same, using that same pay, the same fare and so on. So there is a kind of equality that you're, that I suppose is almost imposed on you by that experience. Uh, which, percent. Yeah. The subway is the great equalizer. It's a very democratic space. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right about yeah. that. You know, you can see anyone on it. You, of course, you see the extreme displacement that's taken place. Then you see how many people don't have a permanent residence yeah. um, and how much that has increased over the years. And especially during the pandemic, how much that has increased. Um, you also see the stars, you know, and you have these moments where you're like, yeah, the stars are just like us. You know, they're on the subway, they're riding around. You can sit next to Malcolm Gladwell doing <laughs> something on his phone and, you know, just casually run into Tanasi Coates and ask he's him right. about the book that he's reading. So you do have these interactions and I think it's very good and very humbling because it reminds you that um, we are all in this together and that we do share a physical space with each other, even if it can feel in the digital stratospheres that we're 500,000 miles apart. Yeah. Um, because I think that uh, digitally speaking, you know, there's hierarchies with blue checks, verified accounts with celebrity As, status, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, and then it's really good to see each other on the street and to say, you're part of my local community. You're my neighbor. Yeah. You yeah. are two houses down from me, as a matter of fact, um, which is what I found out with Radio Labs host Jad Ebumrod, who I really love and have listened to for so long. Um, he lives, you know, he lives uh, six minutes away by foot. <laughs> and wow. I think that, wow. And I think there's something so beautiful in that because you really understand that uh, you understand who shapes your community and who is. Yeah, who's your neighbor? Yeah, yeah, which well, is very important. We need to connect locally with each other more. You know, Bill, we yeah. really have to understand 
and become hyper locally focused on who we share space with, who's in our communities, who needs help, who has something to offer. And from that place, we then need to understand how we can apply ourselves to that and how we can affect our immediate local community. Because guess what? That will affect our city. That will affect the continent that you're on. That will affect the world. And it sounds very grandiose, but it's not. That's true. And that is how you make change happen, is you begin at home and you take steps that are immediate that you can take every day. And from that place, you understand who you are. And it's a beautiful ripple effect out. I really highly recommend it. I I totally agree. I was thinking about this. I was watching a a movie, I think it was 48 Hours, which was made when I was a boy. And I saw it and it was very much sort of about, it was a funny movie, but it was about the racial tensions of the early 80s in part, you know, sort of where we were then. And I thought about, was watching on TV and the commercial came on and showed a black man and a white woman as a married couple, you know, for like fried chicken or something. I thought, wow, you know, obviously there's still a lot of work to do, but there has been so much change that has happened over 30 years that I've seen in my lifetime. And I reflected on this and I think about your book around this because I thought, yeah, there's been political movements and there's been political leaders and books written and that's all great. But the stuff we didn't see is the people sitting next to each other on a bus somewhere and just talking or people working together. And and that and there's millions of those stories that never get told or never get videotaped. But that's where the change really begins. And if you think your little tiny thing that you do, that little piece of kindness, one of my favorite books says real teaching is when you don't yell at the person for stepping on your foot. The real teaching happens when you forgive the child for crying and disturbing your ride up the elevator. And I think yeah. we discount those tiny moments, but it, I agree with you 100 percent. It starts small but it isn't small it just goes out now and by the way things will happen like you wrote this book you're going to meet people and it's going to be great but you're going to change people's lives and you will never meet them you'll have no idea you already have changed people it already happens yes i know i've changed people's lives through subway book review because some of them write me and they leave me beautiful notes and um they tell me that it does happen for them that it is changing their minds that it is changing their hearts that it's changing how they're approaching life And that is really just getting one of those notes, just getting to affect one person in that way um, makes me feel like I'm on the right path and I'm doing the work that I meant to do because really honestly, um, Subway Book Review is community service. You know, there's no sponsored posts. There is no secret funding. Um, (laughs) You can't buy your way into it. Um, it It's very authentically done in a way that is true to, um, what it intends to be, which is an which is an actual portrayal of what is happening um, and where it's happening and who's participating in it. And I just want to say that um, on the note of, you know, going into a space or going into a topic and then exploring it deeply is also a lost art form. One of the books that was very inspirational was uh, Studs Terkel working. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. where he goes and he speaks to many, many bif- different people about what they do and why they do what they're doing. Yeah. And uh, it's absolutely awesome and fascinating, right? And then on the other hand, you have someone like uh, Werner Herzog who goes and sticks with an individual um, in a space um, and really goes deep into that person. And so I tried to do, I wanted to do a combination of both where you get very familiar and very intimate with someone for a short amount of time. And then you have a variety of people speaking to one subject, which is the stories that move and change them. Well, it is good work. And like I said, listeners, it's dropping today. You can go get it. It's very great. Uli's going to be out. She's going to be out promoting it, I'm sure. I'm so glad she got time to spend time now. So, uh, okay. So if people 
if they can buy the book, they can buy wherever books are sold. But if they want to learn more about you, what's the best place to just, what's the best way to find out more about you and the work you're doing? Yes, yes. Thank you, Bill. You can find me on the interwebs. My website <laughs> is subwaybookreview.co. You can find me on Instagram at the UBC at Subway Book Review. Those are the best places. All the events are posted. We have so many great events coming up. Um, and uh, some of them are recorded. So you can also watch some of the ones that you may have missed. Um, we have beautiful merch. We have exciting things happening all throughout November. So um, sign up for the newsletter and just, you know, stay connected. That's right. Good. All right. Good. I got one more question for you, though. Uh, yes. So this is the first book you've written. I've written books. I know what it is. I know you go in as one thing, you come out a little bit different, right? So now I'm talking about you personally now, you personally. If writing this book has taught you anything, it's taught you what? The act of writing it. This is making me a tiny bit emotional. So I have to take, I have to take a breath because that's a big okay. question. Yeah. Um, writing a book absolutely changes you as a person. And um, what it has taught me, I thought I knew that I was a very independent person and I knew that I was a courageous person, but I realized that my courage is actually far greater than I ever had thought. Nice. Nice. Well, I'm so glad it taught you that. Thank you, Lily. This was fabulous. Thank you so much for such a big question at the very end, making me cry, Bill. Oh my goodness. Good. Those good? are the best questions. Thanks again. <laughs>Yeah, those are good tears. Tears from the heart. Yes, indeed. Courage. Courage. Core means the heart. That's right. The root of the word courage is the heart. It means you're acting from the heart. And that's where your strength is. That's where your bravery is. When you write, when you do anything. All right, that was a lot of fun. I'm going to be back again next week with another fabulous guest. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. You're great. Uh, and to all of you out there, you know, go find something you love to do. Have the courage to do it and go do it.